Hello and welcome to this Burning Heart podcast series, Prayer, Learning from Jesus. My name's David Ingle and I'm the founder and leader of Burning Heart. Like all our series, this was originally written for the film version. We think it works best on film, but there are lots of reasons why you might want to use a podcast version instead. So here it is. This is episode two. What's the point of prayer? What are you hoping for or expecting when you pray? One reason why I think many of us struggle in our prayer lives is because we've got the answer to that question subtly wrong in our hearts. And if we're honest, many of us have quite a functional relationship with prayer. We think of it as being a bit like a vending machine. We put in prayer and the results and answers to our prayer are what we hope to get back. And essentially, prayer is then a way of achieving my goals and getting what I want. And at first glance, that's not so different from what we find in the Bible. Jesus' teaching on prayer is actually full of encouragements to ask for things, so that can't be all wrong, and he does promise results. For instance, Jesus promises in John 14, I will do whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Well, that seems pretty categorical. If you want it, ask for it. And yet, Jesus' promises here are subtly but dramatically different from that image of prayer like a vending machine. Because the focus is not actually on us at all and what we want, but on God. It's all wrapped up in that little phrase, in my name. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Three words we often use in our prayers almost without thinking, but which can be explosive, challenging and changing, but also expanding our expectations in prayer. One of my inspirations and teachers in prayer is Adrian Chatfield. He's both a theologian and a man of deep personal prayer, with experiences in a lifetime of ministry and prayer, from the Pentecostal to the monastic. I went to talk to him about prayer, and I came away with a renewed vision of the richness and variety of why we pray. Why do you pray? I pray because I should. This is not in any particular order. I pray because I must. If I'm honest, I pray sometimes because I want to. Sometimes I pray despite. And I still remember my father used to teach it. I'm a child of the vicarage. Prayer is praise, it's confession, it's thanksgiving. It's praying for others, it's praying for yourself. I pray because I am amazed by God. I pray because I sin. I pray because I'm grateful. I pray because the world has needs. I have needs, we have needs. Uh, But primarily I pray because there is a... I'm enough of a theologian 
to know that if I really believe and live up to the things I say about God when I teach or write or preach or do the rest of it, then, that, then praying is the primary outworking of that. As I've reflected on what it means to pray in Jesus' name, I found myself drawn to the illustration of an ambassador. When we were filming this episode of the film series, we went down to the US Embassy in London. And we went there because it's the headquarters of the American ambassador in the UK. And they're one of the most powerful people in London, with access and influence pretty much everywhere. And yet I realised I don't actually know who they are. I don't even know whether they're a man or a woman, black or white, young or old. I just know they matter. And they matter not because of who they are, their CV or skills or brilliance, although I'm sure that they are very impressive, but rather because of who they serve. They matter because they come in the name of the President of the United States of America. They have power because the President has power. And it's the same with us when we pray in the name of Jesus. We have power because he has power and we pray and we come in his name. But that also subtly changes the point and purpose of our prayer. The ambassador doesn't operate according to their own ideas and desires. They're here to implement the president's agenda. And if they want to go off piste and make up their own policies and just do what they want, then they're not actually operating in the president's name at all. And again, it's the same with us when we pray in the name of Jesus. Christian prayer isn't actually primarily about what I want at all. It's about God. In those verses I mentioned from John 14, Jesus twice promises to do what we ask in his name. But sandwiched between those promises is the reason why, the point and purpose of our prayers. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Prayer isn't supposed to be a way of getting what we want, a sort of spiritual vending machine or a perk of being a Christian. Its purpose is is to bring glory to Jesus, and then through Jesus to bring glory to the Father. It's about advancing his agenda and praying his plans and purposes into being. And that can actually be quite challenging, because at its heart is a willingness to put his agenda first, to prioritise it above our own wants and desires, and to be obedient to him, to pray, your will be done, even when we don't want to. And obedience is actually a surprising and often overlooked emphasis of these verses. Immediately after Jesus told the disciples, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it, he added, if you love me, keep my commands. And that call to obedience is repeated five times in various different ways in just 31 verses. I can't think of any other short passage of scripture where obedience is mentioned as often, and I don't think that's an accident. To pray in Jesus' name is not self-focused, but surrendered. The prayer of an ambassador, acting on Jesus' authority 
and his account. So when I went to talk to Adrian, I asked him about this. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? <laughs> it means... I'm having to think about this one. It certainly means to pray in the way that Jesus did, but it's not simply imitative of Jesus. It is to pray with the authority and power that Jesus has given to his people, specifically his church, the body of his people together. It's the people of God, corporately, who have that power and that authority. But it's to, I hope this doesn't sound too much like a fluid in a pipe, tap into uh, the power and the authority and the commands of Jesus to ask that God may fulfill what God desires to fulfill. And sometimes it seems to me to fulfill those things when we ask. Asking in his name is asking in a kingdom way because everything that Jesus does is towards the kingdom. And sometimes in his life that means things not going the way he would rather they did. The classic example is Gethsemane, Father take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. So it's not a simple, oh I fancy a new bicycle tomorrow. We know that. It's a trite example. It does mean asking in a way that honours who we are in God, what we are created for, and where we are placed in the kingdom to enable the kingdom to come, not just in our lives, but in the life of our community and elsewhere and elsewhere. One of the striking things about Jesus' teaching on prayer in John 14 is its context. It's part of what Jesus shared with his disciples on the night before he died. And at this point, Jesus' focus is not actually on prayer, but relationship. It starts with Jesus' famous declaration, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through Jesus, we come into relationship with God. And that is then the context in which we're encouraged to pray in Jesus' name. So prayer in Jesus' name may be surrendered and obedient, but it is also intimate and relational. The word love comes 20 times in just these two chapters. And we're called to pray, not because God needs our help, but because he looks for our love and relationship. And so in prayer, we're much more than simply ambassadors. We're also sons and daughters loved and cherished by our heavenly father. And that's the word father that Jesus uses again and again here to speak of God. And it's also the way, as we saw in the last episode, that he taught us to pray, praying our father. It points us to one of the most important things about prayer, that prayer is supposed to be relational. That's one of the biggest problems with that image of prayer being like a vending machine, that it's functional, not relational. 
Prayer isn't just about outcomes and answers, but also, maybe more actually, about growing and deepening our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so many of the prayers in the Bible aren't actually about asking at all. In the Psalms, for instance, you'll find prayers of thanksgiving, songs of praise, declarations of trust or cries of lament and more. And even here in John 14, where we are encouraged to ask and given extraordinary promises of answered prayer, the focus is actually still on relationship. We pray because we love God and want to know him better. And he hears and answers because he loves us. And this was one of the areas Adrian and I chatted about when I went to visit him. So, so what is prayer? Prayer, when I'm teaching, it tends to start off with a definition some way around conversation. Conversation with God uh, sometimes it's a two-way conversation, sometimes it's more speaking, sometimes it's more listening, sometimes it's more sitting in the presence of, so there aren't any words, and often it involves other people. So it's a, a conversation between many, and I'm often reminded of Rublev's 15th century icon, you know, the, the three strangers who visit Abraham who are understood in some circles as the three persons of the Holy Trinity sitting around the table and there's a fourth place at the table and the reverse perspective invites me in. So there's a, it's a place of invitation. God invites us to come sit at table, to talk, to share, just to be, to enjoy. So prayer is the enjoyment of God's presence and all that comes out of that. One of the things that I bang on about quite a lot is that Jesus in John chapter 15 says to his disciples, you are not servants, you are my friends. Prayer is a way of staying connected with the one who is my best friend. I don't want that to sound too buddy-buddy because God is both intimate and imminent, but also transcendent and terrifying. Friendship, I think, allows you to think of the relationship as being dynamic, growing, changing, respectful of the dynamic between creature and creator. We've explored how prayer in Jesus' name is surrendered and relational but it is also effective. However flawed our transactional understandings of prayer may be, Jesus did say, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. He's encouraging us to take the initiative and ask him for what we want and to do so expecting him to give it to us. How does that fit with what we've already explored in this episode? Well, in the next chapter, Jesus uses a famous and beautiful image that helps us understand, saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. The focus of the image is on the idea of fruit and how a branch is completely dependent on the vine for its fruitfulness. Jesus continues, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a wonderful image to help us understand our relationship with Jesus more generally. 
But as he continues, Jesus applies it specifically to asking for things in prayer. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As we've seen, the end goal is God's glory and his purposes being worked out. But it turns out that that's not just some vague and impersonal cosmic agenda. God's vision is a vision that involves us. He wants to show his glory through you and me, through the way we live our lives and pray our prayers. One of the great early church fathers, Irenaeus, once said that the glory of God is a person fully alive. I love that. And I wonder if he had these verses in mind when he wrote it. So our prayers aren't just about results or just about relationship. They're about the whole thing. Prayer is a vital part of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. But that in turn will always have results, always bear fruit. One thing that I love about that image of fruit, though, is that while it is powerful and effective, it isn't always in the instant consumerist way of our world. There are seasons and delays, and it's an image of dependence as much as it is results. All of which ties in with our experiences of prayer, something Adrian was very honest about when we talked. Does God answer our prayers? I, the, the thing that I've often said to people when teaching about prayer is that it would be so much easier for me if God never answered prayer if, or if he always answered it in the way that I think is proper. The truth is that I'm in the in-between place and I have seen personally and read and heard many stories of extraordinary answer to prayer. I remember praying with the whole church for someone who had a tumour around the spine and the person was opened up and I'm not going to identify the person or the context. The surgeon told the person afterwards we knew that we couldn't do anything with that because it was too risky. So we decided to sew you back up. But as we went to, the tumour fell apart in two pieces in my hands. And it's nothing to do with me, but it's probably much more to do with the prayers of the people in your church and the surgeon wasn't a believer as I remember it. Which is an astonishing story and I've dined out on it many times. And we could sit here for a long time and I could tell you little answers to prayer that are quite extraordinary. What we call coincidences, God incidences, serendipities or all the rest of it. You pray, things happen and it feels as if there is the most remarkable coming together of circumstances to deliver a consequence, because it's not always just about asking, a consequence that was inconceivable. Part of what I love about what Jesus says in John 15 is that it helps me understand my part in prayer 
and God's part. Jesus is very clear here that he wants and expects us to take the initiative. He tells us to ask for whatever you wish, and he then tells us that it will be done for you. In other words, God does change his cosmic plans and purposes to do what we want when we ask for it in prayer, which is pretty mind-blowing. He does so because when we live fully and totally for Jesus, our wishes and our prayers bring him glory. But, and it's an important but, that can only happen if we are deeply rooted in him, surrendered and obedient. If, as Jesus said, you remain in me and my words remain in you. Even as I say that, I realise that if I'm honest, so often that's not true for me. And I think about how easily my prayers become just my agenda. Me praying in David's name and not Jesus's. But Jesus's challenge and promise in these verses also inspires and excites me casting a vision of what prayer can be as we partner with God himself to pray and bear fruit and bring about his purposes and glory. It's amazing. So what's the point of prayer? Well, ultimately, the point of prayer is to bring glory to God. But the way that that is achieved is by drawing us deeper into relationship with him. And then as we become deeply and wholly rooted in him, allowing us to take the initiative and pray prayers that can change the world for him. So as we finish, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the amazing privilege of prayer. I pray that you would draw everyone watching deeper into relationship with you and deeper in their prayer life. Help them to remain in you and your words in them. Help them to pray big and bold prayers in your name and then answer them when they do, that you may be glorified. Amen.